the billboards are the one that I'm thinking of has Jackie Chan on it, and uh, his fingers are like this close together. And the billboard says, "We're this close to finding a cure for polio." Um, I heard uh, a medical scientist, a medical researcher on uh, the radio recently, and this was his opinion, but he said he believes within 10 to 15 years that we will be able to find a cure for Parkinson's disease. Um, My wife and I have a friend, uh, we went to visit her about 18 months ago, and her and her husband sat us down in their uh, dining room, and she said, we have... We have some news to tell you. She's uh, our age. She said, I've been diagnosed with uh, leukemia. And uh, then they went on to tell us that uh, it's a type of leukemia where she can take a pill once a day uh, for the rest of her life and she will functionally be cancer free. They told her that if she was diagnosed with this disease 20 years ago, she would have two years to live. Uh, we live in a time and an age where we're on the cusp, we're on the verge of technological and uh, scientific and medical advancements. There are things that we have now that we didn't have 10 or 15 years ago. We've already broken through hurdles and walls that seemed insurmountable just a decade ago. And this passage in Acts, uh, from basically from Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 11 and beyond, it highlights the fact that God's kingdom is breaking through to Samaria and even to the entire world. It's, it's showing us that God's kingdom is growing. The story of Philip's interaction with this Ethiopian eunuch is one more reminder. It's one more demonstration that God's gospel is going to the Gentiles. The trajectory is global. That God's kingdom is growing and it will blossom and advance. And it's showing us that what happened in Acts chapter 8... What we looked at last week where Christians were persecuted and they left Jerusalem and the message of Christianity went with them. It's showing us that that was not a fluke. It wasn't a one and done thing. In fact, the message of Christianity is beginning to go out of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and literally to the ends of the earth. One of the things I want us to see this morning is that that same truth is real today. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful and that God is moving. That God is still drawing people to himself. He's still showing folks like us about his love and his grace through Jesus Christ. There are hurdles. There are challenges. Those are very, very real. But just... In the same way that the gospel came to this Ethiopian man, the gospel is coming to individuals and people groups in our city, in our state, in our country, and around the world. So God is still working. He's still growing his mission. And this morning, let's look at at this passage together and ask God to show us himself and what he's like. And our hope and prayer is that he'll show us ourselves And what we're like, and how much we really need Jesus. 
So the first thing I want us to think about from this passage is a meeting in the desert. And uh, nine years ago, I had this wonderful privilege to go to China. And uh, I, I had a fabulous trip. And uh, one morning, I was walking down the street in Shanghai, and a city of about 15 million people. And I, I saw someone that I knew. And they weren't on the trip with me. Uh, I saw somebody that I went to high school with, Chris. And so I said his name, Chris? And he said, Josh, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And we began to talk about why we were there and what was going on in our lives. I hadn't seen him in 13 years. And that is the ultimate chance encounter. I ran into him on the other side of the world. But if we think about Christianity and a Christian worldview, we realize that there are no such things as chance encounters. And just as I was, uh, it was ordained by God for me to see Chris then, Philip's interaction with this Ethiopian man was part of God's plan. Even though they met out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, it was not a chance encounter. It wasn't an accident. It was part of God's good plan. It was orchestrated by him. And as we begin this passage, I want to just say, kind of as a side note, a word about angel visions. Look at, look at verse 26. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we'll talk about this more throughout this series in the book of Acts. But one of the realities about this early part of the life of the church is the clear and direct movement of God and his agents in telling people where to go and what to do. Some of the movements of God through the scriptures are simply movements of providence, and we saw that last week when When Saul started persecuting Christians, they were on the run. They went to different areas, and as they went, they took the message of Christianity with them. And the gospel grew and it it flourished. And it wasn't the way they would have planned it. It wasn't the way that they would have written the script of their lives. But it was part of the way that God took the gospel and the message of Christianity out of Jerusalem. And here, an angel told Philip directly where to go and what to do. And in verse 39, near the end of the passage, it says that He was transplanted supernaturally. Philip was carried off from where he was near Gaza to another city that was probably around 30 miles away. And uh, it's important for us to remember that this is describing what happened in the early church. One of the things that we believe about the miracles of Jesus was that they are connected to these miracles as well, that that Jesus began to do work when he was on the earth, healing the sick, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind. And now these, these visions and these miracles that happen in the book of Acts are serving to advance the gospel in this first century, this first generation of those early Christians. It's not normative, it's not prescriptive for the way that God leads and guides us today. And uh, Scott's actually going to preach a sermon about that in a month or so, and he will answer all the questions that you have <laughs> concerning that. I just wanted to say that as we begin, uh, a word about angel visions and the like. Uh, so 
The first thing we see from this passage as we see a meeting in the desert is there's a change of scenery. There's a change of scenery. And uh, Philip goes from healing people in the first part of Acts chapter 8 and casting out demons. He goes from the crowds listening to everything that he had to say. They were basically on the edge of their seats listening to what he had to say. He goes from that to him getting marching orders to go to one of the most deserted places in the ancient world. The Spirit told him to go on this road that goes from Jerusalem down, Jerusalem down to Gaza. It's a road that would go out into the desert, into the middle of nowhere. And uh, he was going into the boonies. While Peter and John were going back to Jerusalem, Philip was being sent out into the middle of nowhere. And he may have thought, why is God calling me to go here? What in the world could God possibly be doing in sending me on this road and down this path? And it's, it's good for us to remember that Sometimes following God is filled with joy and excitement and energy. And sometimes following God and obeying God um, means that we walk down a lonely road, a desolate road. Maybe sometimes we'll feel isolated or sidelined. And it's so important for us to remember that wherever we are, That the Lord Jesus Christ walks with us. That he is there with us on the road. And we don't know how long that he traveled on this road, but he ran into this guy. He ran into an Ethiopian eunuch. Now let's look at the passage and see what we can find out about this man. There are several things that we can learn from him. The first thing we know is that he was from Ethiopia. And that's not modern day Ethiopia. He is from the the land of Cush from the Bible, and uh, that's probably somewhere around South Sudan today. And one of the things that uh, we, there's a very high likelihood that he looked very different from everybody else that was in Jerusalem. He looked very different than Philip than most others in Judea and Samaria. The other thing that we find out about this man is that he was a eunuch. Which means that he, whether by the actions of other people or by his own decision, gave up the possibility of having his own family so he could be committed to the work of the royal kingdom of Ethiopia. He was a court official. He was a treasurer for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was a very important person in this Ethiopian kingdom. And one of the other things that we see and learn about him is that he came to Jerusalem. The text tells us that he came to Jerusalem to worship. Most Ethiopians didn't go to Jerusalem to worship God. So he was probably investigating Judaism or he had become a convert to Judaism. And he came to Jerusalem to worship. And as he was going home, he had purchased part of the Bible. He had purchased a scroll that had part of the Old Testament on it. It had... Isaiah's prophecy on it. And that scroll probably cost a lot of money. One of the things that we should remember about this man as he came to Jerusalem to worship was that because he was from Ethiopia and a eunuch and a Gentile, he would only be allowed to enter into 
the court of the Gentiles. He would come to Jerusalem to worship, but he would be in the outer courts. He wouldn't be allowed to go into the inner parts of the sanctuary of uh, the temple. And there are a lot of things in this passage that show us that he had faith in general. He came here to worship. He bought this scroll. He, he couldn't wait till he got home to read it. He was reading it in the chariot on the way home. He was interested in the things of God and the word of God. And it's important for us to see that even though he was powerful, even though he was wealthy, he was still looking for something more in his life. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've been given in life or what you've been denied in your life, this is a simple reminder that we cannot find ultimate rest until we find our rest in God. So those, the characters are introduced there. There's a meeting in the desert. The next thing that we see from the passage is... Uh, the message of Jesus Christ. Philip responds to the Spirit's urging. The Spirit of the Lord told Philip, go over and join his chariot. And so he runs up to the chariot. The chariot was probably pulled by an ox and it was just kind of plodding along. And he came along and this uh, Ethiopian man was reading aloud as was the custom of the day. He was reading out loud from um, the prophet of Isaiah. And Philip probably thought to himself, wait a second, I know that passage. I know the passage that he is reading from. So he took the initiative and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replied with brutal honesty, how can I understand verse 31 unless someone guides me? How am I supposed to know what this words, what these words mean. And it's, it's neat to see that God's Spirit pushed Philip to go, but then Philip took the initiative and he started to ask some questions. And as you think about caring for people and loving people and reaching out to people, one of the best ways to do that is to ask questions of folks. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. Tell me about uh, your dreams. Asking questions are some of the best ways for us to connect with people. We don't have to be pushy. We don't have to be arrogant. But we can engage in their lives with the hope that we get the opportunity to talk about how much Jesus Christ means to us. So they met in the wilderness and then... There's this specific, a clear passage, a specific question, and a good answer. So this man was reading from the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. He was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, and uh, really one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ the Messiah. And the eunuch asked Philip a very specific question. Look in verse 34. About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or somebody else? That question means he kind of knows, I think this is about someone else. I think this is about something bigger than Isaiah. And then verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, he told him 
the good news about Jesus. So he preached the gospel from Isaiah 53. He started there, and then he began to unfold the message of God's grace through Jesus. He may have said something like this. He's the promised one. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the one that all of those sacrifices in the temple and in the tabernacle were pointing toward. He's a better prophet than Moses. He's a better priest than Aaron. He's a better king than David. He's God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross for us. And even though he could have called down the the armies of heaven to deliver him, he was like a sheep, a lamb before its shearers. He was silent. And he did all this for you and for me. He came to rescue us. And now all who believe in Jesus Christ, all who trust and rely on what he has done, instead of what we have done or what we can do or what we hope to do, we can have joy and freedom and forgiveness through him. And we can become the children of God. This passage is helpful for us in so many ways. First of all, I think it's a simple reminder that the kingdom of God is for the marginalized, the outsiders, and those who are different from the majority. One of the sweetest things that Philip may have said to this man was... You know what? Because of Jesus, there's no longer a court of the Gentiles. We all have full and free access to God through Him. The ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Everyone comes with the same problem, brokenness and sin, and there's one solution. It's the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's room at Christ's table for you. Maybe you are here this morning and you think, I don't really fit in. I, uh, I don't know where... I'm supposed to go, where I'm supposed to be. Maybe you feel marginalized. Maybe you feel like you're an outsider. Maybe you're haunted by the names and the labels that people have given to you in the past. And part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that in Christ we have a new name, we have a new life, we have a new identity and a new hope, beloved daughter, precious son of God. Secondly, I think this passage, we've already talked about this a little bit, it can help us demystify evangelism. You don't have to go very far to know that there are a lot of people who are hurting and confused in this world. There are folks who may seem like from the outside they have it all together, but they still got these deep, ultimate questions that they they ask. There's got to be more to life than this, right? 
They may not be asking you about what Isaiah 53 means, but they may be asking you questions about your future, their lives, why they or their family members can't change, why things don't get any better, questions about their pain, questions about their past, questions about the future. And that's where we can enter into people's lives and tell them how much the gospel of Jesus Christ means for us and how much the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ has been an encouragement to us. We can talk about our struggles, our issues, and how God himself has been faithful to us. The message of Jesus is preached. It's declared. It's explained by Philip to this man in the middle of nowhere, orchestrated by God. And the last thing I want us to see from this passage is that uh, I think it's pretty clear that this man was changed by the gospel. At the beginning of my eighth grade year, yes, I can remember then, um, Miss Nance, my wonderful choir teacher, she asked me to come up to the front of the class to to demonstrate to some of the younger students what the tryout for advanced choir was going to look like. I was a choir boy. And uh, so she said, one of the things you'll need to do is I'll play some notes on the piano and you repeat these notes. And then she played, you know, la, la, la. And I replied, la, la, la. And she said, oh, someone's voice has changed over the summer. And as I crawled back to my seat, uh, it was clear that my voice had changed that summer. And uh, she embarrassed me, but it it was true. There was a clear change. And there was a clear change in this Ethiopian man's life. One of the changes we see is that he professed faith in God. Now, his profession of faith is not a traditional confession. It's maybe not one that we are used to. He didn't profess the Apostles' Creed. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. But it's a real and powerful profession of faith in God nonetheless. It's simply this. Look at verse 36. Hey, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He didn't tell Philip, let me think about it. Let's talk more about this later. Let me give you my address. We can exchange letters or something. No, he didn't do any of that. He was ready to hear about the grace of God, and he, was, and he responded quickly and clearly and decisively to the gospel message. He was essentially saying, I agree, I see Jesus is a person that Isaiah was talking about. He is God's provision for my life, for my sin. It makes sense. I trust in him. Another indication from the text that this man's life was changed is that he was baptized. He told the chariot driver to stop. There's water right there. He initiated. He brought it up. Philip must have told him something about baptism. And he was eager and ready to receive the sign of baptism. As part of being connected to uh, the kingdom of God. It was a simple and definitive act of faith. 
And for those of, who have been around uh, South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church for a long time, or maybe those who are new, it's important for us to remember that Presbyterians believe in believer's baptism. If someone professes faith in Christ and they've never been baptized, we believe that it's something that they need to do to connect with the local body of believers. That's what happened here. This man was baptized. If someone's converted, she's changed by the gospel, we believe that she should receive the sign of baptism coming into the life of the church. That's a biblical concept and practice. The thing is, we don't simply believe in believers' baptism, but we also believe that the children of believers, covenant children, should receive the sign of baptism as well. And I want to say just a little bit at this point about the mode of baptism, how we baptize people. Some of you may think that it's strange that we pour water or we sprinkle water on folks when we baptize them. Some people may say, baptize means immerse. Why don't you immerse people when you baptize them? Well, baptize does mean immerse. It also has different meanings in the Bible, which include pouring and sprinkling. And in connection with the Old Testament practice, in connection with biblical precedent, we believe that sprinkling is a more consistent mode. Now, why am I bringing this up? This isn't a sermon about baptism. Well, it's about the prepositions in this text. Um, You remember when Jesus was baptized? And it says that when he came up out of the water... The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. You remember this? And uh, the Spirit, the, the Father spoke from heaven. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And maybe we've seen pictures in children's story Bibles of Jesus after he had been dunked coming up out of the water. This passage simply shows us that those prepositions cannot be the foundation of one's view about the mode of baptism. Look at verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So at least in this passage, it seems that they both walked down into the water, he baptized them, and then they both walked up out of the water. It's food for thought. If you want to talk about that more, uh, Pastor Scott's number is listed in the bulletin. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an interesting aspect of the, the prepositions used there. So he was professing faith in God. He was baptized. Another thing that shows that this man uh, was changed is that he rejoiced. When they came up out of the water, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. We don't know exactly why that happened, but he supernaturally carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He was probably rejoicing over the fact that he'd been delivered from his sin. Rejoicing that he was fully and freely accepted by God himself. Rejoicing that all of those questions about meaning and purpose that he had in his life were now answered in and through Jesus Christ. He was filled with joy. And the second part is really interesting. Or the first part 
he, and he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way and he was going back home. He went on his way back to Ethiopia. And I think it's fair for us to say that that, that spirit of joy went with him. It's fair for us to believe that he went back and he started to tell people about what God had done for his soul. About the joy of the Lord that he found in Jesus Christ. It's fair for us to believe that he told his family and his friends. He probably told the people that he worked with. He may have even told the queen of Ethiopia herself about what God had done for him in Jesus Christ. Have you guys ever seen the movie, The End of the Spear? It's about uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Sane and other missionaries. And they, they went in to uh, minister to a tribe of people in South America. And early on, they were all killed by these tribesmen. And the incredible part of the story is that their wives went after them to the same people that had killed their husbands. And they went to tell them about Jesus. And... God used their testimony and their work to bring people to himself. And there's one image in this movie of a man who believed the gospel. He understood that he could be forgiven of his sin. And it's just written all over him. He's filled with joy that he couldn't hide and he wouldn't want to. He's filled with a joy that no one could take away. It's such a powerful picture of what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. This Ethiopian man rejoiced. He had the joy of the Lord. Sometimes we lack joy. Our lives lack joy. And maybe one way to reclaim that joy is by reigniting or revisiting The glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Remembering the simple yet timeless truths of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's pretty clear that this man was changed even from the the short description that we have of him here. And I think one of the simple challenges for us or one of the questions that we can ask is this. How has the gospel changed me? What are some of the practical and personal implications of knowing Jesus Christ and following Jesus in my life? Woody does a great job on Sunday mornings as we begin of of talking about how we are not perfect. If you come to South Baton Rouge looking for a perfect church, you better just keep looking because this is not the place. We're broken, we're sinful, and we need the grace of God. And it's also fair for us to expect that that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be changing us and transforming us. John Newton said it like this, a former slave trader. He said something like this, I'm not what I could be, I'm not what I should be, but thanks be to God, I'm not what I used to be. And so the grace of God should be changing us. We're on a journey where God is transforming us. Sometimes the slowing is the going is very slow. Sometimes we take baby steps toward glory. But by God's grace, he's changing his children from one degree of glory to another because 
We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as we close, I want to encourage you, don't forget that God's message, that God's grace, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is on the cusp. It's on the verge of breaking through to the entire world. And yes, that means the whole world in terms of missionary work around the world in foreign lands. But the gospel's on the cusp of breaking through maybe across the fence in your backyard with your neighbor, with the people that live next door to you, with the parents of the children on your kid's baseball team or soccer team. Maybe the gospel is on the cusp of breaking through across the table, even with people in your own home. Even with a family member who seems to have shut God out of their lives. We never know what God can do and what God is doing. He may be this close to changing you and to changing others. Let's pray.